welcome to the New Bohemians podcast. I'm your host, Ashley Van Orney. Thank you for joining us on this episode. I'm so happy to connect with you in conversation about our community. We're doing it! It's all happening. I'm so excited to have you both on. We are really lucky to have uh, LeVar Davis Kidd, otherwise known as LD, from Cedar Rapids and Mike Draper from Des Moines um, on our podcast today as the inaugural hosts of the New Bohemians podcast. And when I think of folks that embody kind of the New Bohemian generation, really um, LD and Mike come to mind. So thank you and welcome. I'm going to intro LD a little bit. Um, he's really dynamic, folks. I, I first engaged with him um, when we were doing TEDx Cedar Rapids, which Mike was also a part of. So <laughs> coming full circle here. Um, but look, LD is a poet, author, dancer, educator, musician, and CEO of 100% Over Racism. There isn't really anything that he can't do. Um, he's certainly helped me during COVID when we were trying to figure out how to keep ourselves moving and keep ourselves joyful. And he did some um, yoga instructions for me as well that I shared with our citizens. Um, and then we've got Mike, who not only is a master of dinosaurs, funny childhood story there, um, but also, you know, people understand and, and are uh, very excited by Ray Gun. I don't think anybody has not purchased an item from there or been to a political event there. Certainly many a presidential candidate has been hosted in his buildings, but Mike, LD, thank you so much and welcome. Yeah, thanks. This thank is going to be tough to top. <laughs> <laughs> well, LD, um, let's let's jump right in. Talk to me a little bit about um, how you came up with 100% Over Racism and what was your motivation for starting that? Thank you so much, Ashley, for having us on today. 100% um, Over Racism, really, it started as a protest sign. Uh, I was on my way out the door a little over a year ago uh, to my first protest that I was able to go to with the Advocates for Social Justice, who weren't even called Advocates for Social Justice at that point in time. Uh, and I was like, oh, wait, I need a protest sign. I've never been to a protest before in all of my life. And I looked over and luckily had an Amazon box and... I uh, went into my kid's room and grabbed a, a marker that was in there and was thinking about something that connected to me, but also to how I was feeling about everything that was happening. And so I created a simple uh, math problem, 50% black, 50% white, 100% over racism, snapped a photo of that, sent it to my brother who lives in Colorado. And he immediately was like, hey, you should make a t-shirt. I sent it to another friend, Cody, who lives in Des Moines. He also said the same thing. Uh, I think it was the Monday after that protest that I made a social media post and basically said, hey, Ray Gun, make my shirt. And at that <laughs> point in time, a friend reached out and said, you don't need Ray Gun to make your shirt. We can do it for you. And I, I am sad but also glad because I think that we probably would have done one really great shirt with Ray Gun. But because we didn't go that route, we were able to kind of create this movement that has happened. And with that, we've been able to just give back to the community. Not that we wouldn't have been able to do that with Raygun, but it just kind of went down its own trajectory. Uh, and so it's been the kind of this crazy wild ride. We've given back close to $5,000 in a year to locally, mostly uh, minority owned businesses. Uh, and it's still ever changing and ever growing and it comes with its challenges. We are not a brick and mortar. We are a online third party. We don't do any 
of the shipping and stuff. So that's kind of where I wanted to be because I've worked for and have been involved with other organizations in the past where I just end up with a box full of shirts and I just end up giving them away anyway. So I didn't want to go down that path. Um, so it's been really great. Uh, still looking for amazing partnerships and amazing opportunities to support people in this community, but also beyond the community. We really want to branch out and try to get the word out there about what we stand for and raise more money for more people. Yeah, LD, um, I was so excited to see that evolution. I remember um, when I saw your post, I reached out to Mike. And what I love about this podcast is is that this is one of the first times that you two have connected. But I, I remember reaching out to Mike and I was like, look, this dude is legit. Like, how do we make this happen? And I just loved the response from Mike that was like, I think he's got it. <laughs> like, he's got it. I'm not here to like take this over. Like, this this dude seems like he's got it. And like, if I can be helpful, it was great because I remember there was a little bit of apprehension there that it was like, oh, maybe, you know, there's some thoughts of competition or anything like this, but that's not. It's just a loving community where you both can thrive. There's tons of space for you both. And you both have a message and something that really benefits our community and makes this, I like to think of it as like wearable art with a message. And you're both giving back with your products to the community, which is something that makes me um, that much more engaged and excited about the products that you create. Mike, tell me a little bit about Raygun yeah. and how we get started. And so we are, you know, a clothing store, screen printing, production, all that stuff. And I've always kind of viewed it as, you know, part of a healthy ecosystem. You don't, you know, you don't want everything siloed through like one thing. You don't want just like one voice or one style. Sometimes people come into the store and they're like, you know, your stuff's all in one font. And it's like, what? Oh my God. I never noticed until somebody brought it up to me. Since when? <laughs> Why did we buy the Photoshop package with only one font? Um, we can't even use Comic Sans ironically. And it's like, oh yeah, we know. Like the store is not meant to be all things to all people. It's, you know, we are, you know, this one style and this is kind of what we do and we slot into the, the bigger world of like clothing and so in terms of you know printing whether it's in Des Moines Iowa you know we look at ourselves as just part of what we want to be like a bigger constellation and so right now we have you know stores in Des Moines Iowa City Cedar Rapids and then also Kansas City Omaha and Chicago and then we do you know production for pretty like sizable companies so from the 10,000 feet up in the air we're about like a six to seven million dollar company with about 85 people who work here. Um, I am roughly six blocks from the hospital I was born in. So geographically, I have not come very far in life. I grew up right outside Des Moines. Never expected to be doing this, I guess. I don't know. My parents aren't in the industry. My dad's an attorney. My mom's a mechanical engineer. I had always wanted to do something art related growing up. I mean, it just I, when I was in high school, I played in a lot of bands, wrote a lot, did lots of art. <laughs> I worked for City View as an intern when I was in high school, so I would do movie and music reviews, you know, met a lot of bands. And then I went to college, and, you know, but my mom was always kind of like, well, how do you make money doing that? And which is like, you know, a good question to ask. It's like in It's a Wonderful Life when his guardian angel comes down and he's like, uh, I'm here to help you, George. And he's like, you don't happen to have $40,000, do you? And he's like, we don't need money in heaven. And he's like, well, it sure comes in <laughs> handy down here. And that's what, you know, it's not the only thing, but it sure does come in handy sometimes. And so went to college, tried to, I guess, be professional. I, I was a good school and I studied history. I had no interest in 
Like, I went and bought the book for the LSATs, and I never opened it. It held my door open senior year, which I thought was a bad sign. If I didn't even <laughs> want to study for the exam to become a lawyer, I'm like, oh, I don't know if that may not be a good career trajectory. And most people at Penn go into, like, banking, consulting. I didn't really want to do any of those things. So by my senior year, I was graduating with, like, no postgraduate plans. My only plan had been to apply for this fellowship to essentially go live with my girlfriend. I got rejected for that. I think they could kind of suss me out. They're like, this person does not seem that interesting. Like, you're really into international relations in <laughs> Scotland. And it's like, yep, <laughs> extremely. Um, I hope during my studies I'll learn what international relations is. So then I was like, had no plans after my senior year. A friend suggested that we start selling T-shirts. And um, we got a hundred shirts, stood on campus, started selling them. It was just like one design of a hundred shirts, um, sold them. And it was kind of like this, you know, light bulb went off. But I'm like, oh my God, this is it. Up until that point, I'd done lots of writing, you know, movies, like just short films and stuff, and then been in a bunch of bands. And it was the first time that I'm like, no, I could, this is something creative that I could do like by myself um, and might be like financially viable. And so I after graduation started traveling around out east like selling t-shirts on the street so it's i would stand in like new york like times square union square and just sell shirts to people who were walking by me on the street and i would stay with friends so i didn't have like a fixed address for maybe six months um when i was in philly i stayed in the basement of my old fraternity on an air mattress um and it wasn't even my air mattress so it made moving back home (laughs) easy and by that winter, I decided I wanted to, like, open up a store. A friend suggested, she's like, you should just move back. I bumped into a friend of mine from Des Moines in New York, and she's like, oh, you know you should do? You should move back to Des Moines and put, like, a store on the east side. My dad said that they're, like, renovating buildings there. I was like, oh. And you get some advice at the right place at the right time, because I'm like, I'm, yeah, I'm going to do exactly that. And so moved back home, started printing in my parents' basement. A buddy of mine from high school, his dad had, like, a small print shop and a pole barn screen printed with them for a while to learn how to do it and then opened the store in 2005 and yeah it was just me for the first two years so opened the store closed the store every day rang up every sale designed every shirt printed every shirt unclogged the toilet after the toilet was clogged you know who you are and it was i mean <laughs> man just like two years of like endless work for almost no money before hiring some people and then it was several more years of endless work for slightly more money. It's just, it's hard to explain to people if they don't, you know, understand. I was just talking about it like today of going to a school, you know, like UPenn, especially it removes the mystery out of, you know, making a bunch of money. You know, you don't necessarily have to have like a great idea. You can just go into banking and take a small percentage of money moving around. On the one hand, people are like, well, I just want to make money. And then once you are shown, okay, well, you can do this and make money, that's when you start thinking, like, well, I don't want to do that. <laughs> like, I don't want to spend every day participating in that. And so it, as strange as it sounds, I was having a great time selling T-shirts on the street. I was having a great time when the store was, like, small. And I, like, still have a good time. I mean, it's you, you kind of have to be in it for the lifestyle of it. You can't do it for any other reason. And there has to be this, like, desire to connect with the community. I mean, I like the idea that I'm, you know, six blocks from where I started and that my, like, third grade teacher can still wander into the store. My first grade teacher, I found out, lives in Cedar Rapids. Yeah. So she goes into that store, but I, that's not where I am normally, so... And it's just cool to feel like you're a part of this, you know, 
long lineage of people who have helped, you know, like educate you and been around you. I just, I don't know, it seems so much more satisfying to add something to a community that you've always been a part of. And I appreciate what you said about that, about, you know, that you have to care about the community that you're involved in. I know, Mike, that you've talked about that you're not building new brick and mortar, you're rehabbing old spaces. And there's an intentionality about that with, you know, the sustainable concept that you're not trying to create new development when there's spaces that could be rehabbed. But, you know, LD, I also see, you know, how you're also putting your own blood, sweat and tears into the community. You recently were appointed to the Citizen Review Board. So it's not just about, to use a phrase from Raygun, putting words on a shirt. You know, it's it's actually doubling back into seeing, okay, now I've got this idea, I've got this concept, I'm wearing my message, I'm promoting it, I'm I'm engaging other people in this concept and this conversation. But both of you are also putting your brand and and having that personal touch where you're helping to influence for the better, you know, progressive ideals into the community. So what is that what does that look like for you though, LD? Because your story I think is really uh interesting where you had this connection of some childhood experiences, teenage experiences, where you remember what it was like to be biracial in Cedar Rapids. Yeah, um, I was mostly raised by my mom, who was white. Uh, my dad passed away when I was in sixth grade. And I think that she did an amazing job of raising my brothers and I. Uh, but at the same time, there were things that I wasn't learning about my uh, African lineage, my black side of my family. Every once in a while, we'd go to Waterloo and hang out with our family there. Um, but there was just things that were missing, but I didn't even necessarily know that they were missing for the longest time until things would happen where I would be interested in a, a girl and she would say, well, actually, my parents won't allow me to date you because they don't want me to date a black person. And I'd be like, like, what are you talking about? I don't, I, at that time, I didn't consider myself black or white. I just was me. I was LD. And so a couple of those things happened. And then I remember my freshman year of college at the University of Iowa, stepping into the Department of Dance of all places and seeing a lot of people that looked like me. And I was just like, okay, I should have been coming to Iowa City way more often when I was, you know, in Cedar Rapids. Uh, and so just feeling this sense of community and connection through art, first and foremost, but then also in representation. And so moving forward, I've always attempted to do things that brought knowledge, information, diversity, acceptance, inclusion, all of these wonderful things back to Cedar Rapids. I would go away for a long period of time and do my thing with always the intention of coming back to Cedar Rapids and imparting some of the knowledge that I had learned or bringing back different ideas. I had a nonprofit dance company in Cedar Rapids for about 11 years and people 10 years after I had started it were like, wait, what is this? because they didn't get it because it was so different than anything else. But if you were in Los Angeles or you were in New York, you could drop into a class on any given day for a certain amount of money. And that there was, there was no recital. There was no nothing else, you know? And so like trying to bring those ideas back to Cedar Rapids in order to make it uh, a richer community, uh, a community that can thrive the way that other cities do. Because I always looked at Cedar Rapids as this amazing hub. If you think about it, it goes to all of these awesome places, but oftentimes we kind of get looked over. 
I mean, it's very similar to Iowa kind of being looked over in a lot of ways. It's like a flyover state. So I've always just, you know, really wanted to give back to my community, especially to people of color, especially those that are black, brown, and biracial in ways that I wasn't necessarily um, given back to or spoke, it was like things weren't spoken into my life in that way. And so that's what I'm attempting to do now. I don't necessarily feel like I've always been on this trajectory, but now that I am, I'm questioning everything that I've done leading up to this. Uh, serving on the CRB is going to be amazing. There are other things within the city that I'm just really excited about. I never thought that I would be kind of this politically minded person, but it doesn't make sense for me to be doing other things. So everything that I do, my art, uh, whether I'm playing you know, percussion with my band, writing poetry, it is all geared towards uh, equality and equity in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. A lot of things that you just said really resonated with me. One of the things about your story, you had said that your commitment as well was to stay and kind of work from within in Iowa. And and certainly I feel the same way. I see that in you as well, Mike. I mean, obviously you you, you went you know, and received your collegiate education out of state, you came back and you're working from within. There's plenty of things, you know, as a fifth generation Iowa, there's plenty of things that that keep me rooted here. At the same time, I also understand, you know, my friends who were Iowans who moved away or my friends who came to college here and, and went back home. And yet what I'm trying to do and what I see in both of you as well is this commitment to try and shape Iowa to be the awesome, you know, equitable place for us all to live in and to do more cool shit, honestly. I mean, <laughs> you know, I think there's like the point of that where like if there is something that you want that we don't currently have, what are you doing to help bring it here to help change that? And and I see you both doing that. I know I shared this with you earlier, but when I read that story about you being interested in this girl and just, you know, this kind of sweet moment where you found somebody that you were interested in. I remember my own story where I found myself falling for somebody who was not white and had this moment where I was thinking, you know, this is probably maybe just changing the perception in my own family of what people assume I may end up with in a partner. I mean, I hope I, I hope I'm fortunate enough to find a partner someday, but what that looked like for me is realizing that like I haven't had that conversation with my family who I'm the first generation not to be 100% Czech. So, you know, we've got a long history of bohemians in our family and uh and and I think that was interesting in my family not to be not to find, you know, to not be 100% Czech, let alone, you know, when I when I called my family and said, "Look, I'm falling for somebody and I I want you to know that they're not white." And, you know, their first response back really was concerns of, well, I'm just concerned about the children. And my response immediately back was what, that they'd be too beautiful, you know, because I, I knew that they, they didn't question that I'd be a good parent and that I didn't have sense enough to, to find a good partner. But it was, it was that, and it, and it hit me because that was, that was pre-rallying in the streets, anything like that. And I just remember that moment when I was reading your story, when you were, you know, fortunate to be vulnerable with us and share that moment that came back when we were rallying in the streets together. And I know it's there. I know it's there. But also that Iowa nice, you know, hides a lot of things. And we don't talk about moments like that. But I remember that 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 was really hard for me 
because it wasn't like, is this a good person? Do they treat you well? Do they care about you? It was, how are we going to explain this to the family? And I was like, it just, it took me back. It was uh, something that I, I probably won't forget anytime soon. Um, but I understood that as well. So, you know, as business owners, and certainly, you know, the, the interests that you have are pretty varied both. Um, Mike, I, I don't know that there's not a nonprofit you've supported. I, yeah. I think the running list is pretty long and certainly it can, continues to pique my interest. But LD, you have some really great ones with the African-American Museum, the um, Academy for uh, Personal Success as well here in, in Cedar Rapids. How do you build that into your model? Because I hear this a lot of times that that, you know, people think that that's extra and you seem to immediately you know, make that a part of your mission. We've never looked at it as we're going to, you know, take this and then we have this amount of money. And so we're going to find some places we can donate to. We've always mainly looked for who we can donate to, who our money can actually have an impact. You know, we're not donating millions of dollars. And so if it's something like Leukemia Lymphoma Heart Foundation, you know, not that I'm pro-leukemia, but it's, you know, those are rounding up giant amounts of dollars. I mean, multi-millions of dollars. Whereas, you know, something much smaller, like, say, you know, Art Force in Des Moines that works with, like, you know, troubled youth and also works to place them in jobs and things that are art-related, that's something that we can not only help out on kind of a monetary end, but also, like, an intellectual pro Like, I can come and speak about it, they can tour the space, and then they can even, you know, work here when they're done. One of the first big organizations we worked with was Planned Parenthood. And we worked there because uh, my wife is a nurse at Planned Parenthood, so I was familiar with it. And there was a point several years ago where every major corporation was dropping support for Planned Parenthood. And that was the time where I was like, well, you know, this is when people actually need it. <laughs> it's like when every, you know, it, it sucks to feel like you're in the wilderness and nobody is out there supporting you. It's tough just to get you know, negative energy fed to you all the time. And so we said, all right, well, we'll host a fundraiser for Planned Parenthood in our store, which, again, I mean, my wife was, I didn't view this as a nefarious organization. It's, you know, a women's health clinic that provides legal uh, medical services. To, I mean, it's just may as well be like a dental clinic. And um, we were like the largest company in Iowa to have a public event with Planned Parenthood. And we are not a big company. I mean, it's like uh, we're even smaller back then. And I think they were appreciative because, you know, you sometimes just want other people to, like, stand up and voice support for it. And you just, when you're a little operation, you realize how much it means, like, every sale means to you. I mean, I just, in the early days of Raygun, God, I can remember who, you know, spent $100 in the store. And it's just, that was everything to me or like what clients would print with us and like which bands would have us print stuff and pay their bills um <laughs> i don't know it, it's it's just kind of ingrained in like the whole system but it's it, you know you think about progress and change and somebody once described iowa as like it's progressive but you don't like change <laughs> and that really encapsulates so much in my mind and people have this idea of like where they want to be they're like well i want to be more accepting and i want there to be like a fuller experience and all that stuff and you know people i think in the back of their minds want the community that you know a diverse well-functioning equal community brings but it's just it's tough for people there's like this uncertainty and like well anything new they're kind of like well how is this going to work how is that going to work and when we set up the business you know that's 
part of the other thing is how we set up the work environment here and who we work with. It's so much easier to, you know, lead by example, to say, well, you know, you like what we do, right? Well, we do it this way, and it's worked for us. And that makes, you know, a lot of people more comfortable. So there's there's only so much you can tell somebody to do something. You know, you're going to have to lead by example at some point. And so we look at that as, you know, day in and day out, it's not just, you know, working with nonprofits, it's taking a, you know, for-profit operation and making it an example that other people can, um, you know, not necessarily be inspired by, but even they're, you know, kind of like less afraid if they see, you know, a diverse workforce and a company that doesn't put an emphasis on education, but puts it on, you know, dependability and, you know, growth over time. It just it makes it so much easier people can see that in action. And and to be fair, both of you have really figured that out in your kind of in the bottom line where the shirts have always, the items have always been incredibly reasonable, very affordable. And yet you still have that dedication to your community. And it's just, I just urge people to, to think about whatever the cause might be, whatever the, the, the thing that moves them might be like whatever you wake up for and you support, build that into what you're doing, into your art, into your business, because that's how we give back. We all have to have a, you know, a certain point of this, Mike. I mean, you even, um, which almost seems to be unheard of that you even encouraged and organized for your own employees to form a union because you wanted them to advocate for themselves and have that protection. Yeah. And that's incredible. That's amazing. This is what we should want. Meanwhile, I've been in situations where, you know, I've spoken to union leaders and I've said, you know, I, I think we would probably in my industry do well to be served by a union. And yet, if you ever even like, you know, whisper those words, you know, you'd sooner be fired than, you know, be allowed to kind of institute a new union. So it's pretty special what you both do. And LD, let's go into a little bit about how you built this into your model as well. For me, it is a bit easier and harder all at the same time because our brand is literally called 100% over racism. <laughs> so you can only partner with organizations who stand behind that message. There's a huge part of me that thinks, man, I really should have called it something different because I immediately ran into issues with any type of advertising on social media because of the word racism. It's amazing that Facebook doesn't let you use that word, but also at the same time, if you're saying you're over it, <laughs> really, you would think that they would still like come behind you and make it a bit easier. So I've had things flagged when I tag products and things, and they're like, actually, this is a social issue. Make sure you check that box. I check that box, and then my ad still doesn't run for whatever reason. Um, so yeah, we're partnering with uh, nonprofits and for-profits and individuals that have a clear message and it makes it a lot easier to know where people stand when you have a mayoral candidate who is going, hey, we want you to sell our t-shirts on your site, or you have a city council member who's saying the same, or a potential city council, uh, yeah, a candidate, because then you know exactly where they stand. And there are some people who won't purchase a shirt, let alone ask you to partner with them. I have a um, another uh, 
political candidate who reached out to me and said, hey, will you support me? And it's somebody who we worked with, Brianna Oxley with the TEDx Cedar Rapids, who's this wonderful person. And she like that is telling everyone where she stands by asking me to be involved in that. Uh, we're not doing any t-shirts for her or anything. So Mike, that's all you, but I'm still standing <laughs> behind her and supporting her fully. Uh, because of who she is as a person and what she stands for and all the work that she has done with a diverse population at Roosevelt Creative Corridor Business Academy and having me come in and work with those students as well. So just people making a really strong stance makes it really easy for them to want to partner with an organization like mine. And it also makes it really hard for other people because they may have people that are backing them in any kind of way that might look negatively on them partnering with the company whose name is 100% over racism. So it's easier in some regards and then also harder in some regards to do it. But sure. yeah, the the goal, and I originally had people going, oh, he's just trying to make money. And I'm like, I gave away every single amount of money that was made in the first like seven months of being in business. Plus I was paying for my designers to like, put out the new ideas and stuff. So I was investing money and not making any. And I think now if somebody purchases our affiliate shirts, because we have logos on both the front and back, I think I make $4.95 off of each shirt. So if anyone ever wants to just have the conversation and look at my books, I'm not making money off of this. It's all for the community. I want to continue to give back. And yes, in the grand scheme of things, if I start making money down the road, it just means I'll have more money to give back. Yeah. And I, I just, from, from knowing you both, I know that that's true because I, I have had the the pleasure of doing little side projects with you all, um, you know, over the years. And, and I think like this whole concept of this podcast as well really started because at one point in time I was maybe in uh dreamland and I was like, I just want, I want to, I'm going to put everybody in a room. <laughs> I want to kind of take a note from Mike Draper and like no cell phones and just like be around each other and just enjoy each other's company. And then, um, you know, it gets complicated to get on everybody's calendar. And so I thought, well, I'll, I'll, I will share the wonderful people that I know and, and bring them to everybody else because not everybody gets to meet Mike or LD. And, you know, you might see one of you or both of you in the newspaper or online, but um, but maybe not in person and get to have that conversation. And and so, you know, that's what I'm hoping to do is kind of elevate these stories, elevate the work that you're doing and the why to try and inspire other people or maybe give them that push that they were thinking about doing some of these things and building in some of that community aspect into their practice. Um, give them that okay. You know, that this is something that you'll find that that community and that base of support. Mike, I know that um, not only did you help us with our TEDx Cedar Rapids uh, shirts, um, but also you helped us with one of the the first bike ride shirts um, for the the bike Cedar Rapids um, that I did uh, ride the districts, and and that was really cool. And LD, again, you know, we've done yoga together. Um, I, I don't. I, I hope people, other people, did it. I was like, this is also for me because I needed to work on some self care during COVID. Um, it was really hard to not do this. So I was trying to provide these instances where I was, you know, providing a platform for people to also give themselves permission to realize, you know, the enormity of COVID that was happening, um, but also create a way that was safe for them to kind of, you know, give themselves some love back. But no, you're right. It's uh, it's it's interesting. There, there's enough, 
you know, white guilt in Cedar Rapids and in Iowa built into that Iowa nice that, you know, your brand on its face, LD, is something that people have to confront. But I appreciate um, what you've told me where you've explained that it starts a conversation at, at the least. And, you know, some people have had questions, but you, you said something that was really important. And, and at least it starts the conversation. You're engaging them in that to push themselves past this apologetic, you know, uh, instance where they, they don't want to be racist. Right. Whether it's because it puts their job at risk, it puts their friendships at risk, whatever. I'm not racist, but it's going beyond that and being anti-racist and then actually having that conversation to say, what does that look like? And what is a true partner who's standing up for people of color? What does that look like? Yep. And that's that's the main thing I love about Raygun as well, Mike, is that you guys have so many great shirts that I wear and it starts a conversation. And I'm the type of person where if somebody goes, hey, I like your shirt, I go, oh, yeah, I got this at Raygun, isn't it? And then I I will continue that conversation with them instead of doing that like, oh, hey, how are you? Oh, I'm fine. And then moving on. It's like, no, if you just commented on what I'm wearing, I'm going to engage you. I'm going to spark a conversation, tell you where I got it, and then also like move that conversation forward to do the work. So I always have appreciated Raygun. Yeah, and I think it's. You know, I think about obviously like messaging a lot, and I think about that too, where people are like, "Oh, are you you're just making money off this?" I mean, you, there's this kind of like angry wing of you know either party, and you kind of have to realize like, what well, you can't just beat people into like submission. It's not about just people not saying racist things anymore, because <laughs> then you kind of notice, well, it must be bubbling below the surface, and then when it explodes, it looks even worse. There's this like it it just pushes the rage like silently. But how do you get people to kind of come along to be like, hey, I understand any sort of change can be nerve wracking, but, you know, what we're building is like a better community. The thing I love most about Raygun is that we probably have more uteri on products than any store this size in America. Uh, you know, it's on enamel pins. We got like uteri on stickers, on shirts, and people will bring like their grandmas here. It's viewed as this like, place to come and visit, like a quintessentially Iowa place. I mean, we have a shirt that says, the GOP, creating government small enough to fit inside your vagina. And that's on a rack. Like, in a regular, it's, you wouldn't see that in Target, but it's viewed as quintessentially Iowan, which is bizarre to the Iowa I grew up in. Really early on, we would get a lot of politicians, like staffers, who would come through the store, um, and they would never want to do an event in the store, because they would be like, it doesn't look like Iowa. Like, we need a diner or, like, we need the state fair. We need, like, hay bales. And you fast forward to a few years ago, and you've got every politician in the store. So at a certain point, we became representative of Iowa, a store that was, like, kind of too radical for it. And that's not, you know, to say that we brought anything new to this. Like, we didn't invent humor. I always knew that this was a state that had humorous, open-minded people, that we were, like, dumbing it down for ourselves. Yeah. Like, we... We would always tone it down and be like, well, I just, I probably shouldn't say that or well, I don't know if people would really get it. And it's like, no, I do think people will get it. And I think that, you know, to show that this is not just a thing that exists, but is kind of accepted as, you know, Iowan shows, you know, how much things can change in not a long amount of time. And it's, you know, just trying to get people to understand the resources are all here. We have all the human resources we need. Now it's just maximizing those resources. I mean, you look at it at the littlest level of the store and you're kind of like, you know, what are we wasting our time on? And 
when you look at community projects, whether it's like housing or whether it's education, you know, we need to stop looking at it in this way of like, oh, aren't we magnanimous? Aren't we doing great things for people by providing education or by having better housing options? And you're like, no, it's, it's entirely selfish. It's like our society needs people to like, to better themselves, to add, to produce, you know, to create. And the state will be in better shape if we're, you know, making the most of the human capital we have. But right now we're just like squandering resources and we, we don't need to look at it as, oh, isn't it great um, that we can do these things for these people? You know, I didn't look at it as, isn't it such a public service for me to be able to provide these messages? It's like, hey, you can build a successful business with these messages. It makes a healthy ecosystem. It's entertaining. People like it. You know, a kind of like stead, bland store gets boring. And you can stay the same thing for, you know, society in general. Like you need some other dimensions to it. And it's, you think about your group of friends, you know, who you like to be around. There is a certain comfort in just, you know, hanging out with a bunch of people from like your high school. But in generally, you're just going to kind of talk about stuff that you used to talk about. And it's nice every once in a while to be like, I mean, I, this is coming from somebody who still hangs out with friends from high school. But it's, it's also good to, you know, meet new people, if only for the selfish reason that it's entertaining to hear new things, to like learn about other places or other interests. And to expand your mind and challenge that status quo. And so it's not altruism. Like, I'm not, you know, you're not meeting new people just purely for like, well, I'm going to do my part and listen to this person for a minute. It's like, oh, you might, you know, there might be a lot that you could take away from it that you could even use in your own life. So it's, it is this really two-way street of, you know, who's kind of like responsible for what. And it, you know, it sounds simple, but anybody who's been a part of an organization or in a community, it's you're not sure who's responsible for success. You know, is it the players? Is it the coaches? Is it, you know, just, there's so many people from so many things that all feed into a successful, you know, whatever it is, business team community, you know, everyone has to like play a role and it's, you don't want to just be on the sidelines and watch. And you also don't want to be involved and just shit on everybody else. Um, You know, that's going to get old too. It's stepping up and being like, yeah, you know, this is what I love about this community and I want to see more of it. So it's it's not tearing down, but it's, you know, promoting and it's putting things in. Yeah. And we talked about it a little bit earlier, too. Just the idea of we didn't necessarily name it, but the unconscious bias that happens. Like when, Ashley, you were saying your family was like, well, I'm concerned about these things. When we meet people or have conversations with people that aren't like us it actually makes us responsible for changing our biases that we have. So we have to go, oh, yeah. wow, I didn't think about it that way, or I didn't think I was saying something in a way that might have been offensive, and then we get to change and we get to grow. So that's what's amazing to me about being able to have those conversations that are outside of your comfort zone. It's the difference between the golden rule and the platinum rule treating people the way they want to be treated versus treating them the way that we want to be treated. Because if we treat everyone the way we want to be treated, we never actually have to know them. We only have to know ourselves. Right. No, that's a really great point. I have to say that, Mike, uh, your products had a hand in me reaching Georgia during the last election as well. Um, I did do some postcards uh, specifically to Black voters there trying to make sure that they knew that 
that from Iowa, we were sending our love. We wanted them to make sure to know that their vote counted. So, of course, uh, when it came down to it, I went to Raygun and got them a little bit of love to send. And so it's it's neat to know, right? Because and now they're somehow to the left of Iowa. It's like, oh, my God. <laughs> it's like, you know, it's on? but 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 here's the thing that like we can't do. We can't give up. We can't lose hope and we can't just run away. Because if we don't face these things head on and start talking about them, whether it's it's through a shirt, through either of, you know, either of your companies, but we have to talk about it and start changing. Because if we just leave, this is all it's ever going to be, you know? I mean, a, a, as much as I've got... A- oh, yeah. I mean, you don't want to give up. And I also think it, it's hard to try to get people to realize how close we are. That on the one hand, there's like big chasms. But on the other hand, they're not nearly as wide as you think. And, right. you know... When you look at things like, you know, fair housing and education, sometimes the the difference when people start diverging is tiny. Like it's a few thousand dollars here or there. It's like a missed rent payment. It's an unexpected medical bill. But then over time, when you're on a different trajectory, it gets wider and wider. And when you look at it from 20 years later, it's like this chasm between people. But it started so small. And it's hard to wrap your mind around, you know, the that the solutions are not nearly as far off as people think they are. And they're not nearly as expensive as people think they are if we do it right. And, you know, you get down to brass tacks and just start saying, how many people are in the Iowa legislature? How many seats do you need to flip to, you know, switch the majority? I mean, it's like a handful. It's it's crazy. You don't need that many people. And it's, it's really adjusting your, you know, mindset. But also knowing it's it's a long-term process. I think the thing that scares people about, you know, anything, whether it's race, is that it's never completed. It's a constant work in process. There's always going to be something else that you're going to be learning. You're always going to be uncomfortable about the way that you, you know, used to do things or how you said something in the past. And this is a, you know, a time to learn for people, but it's not like we're all going to be, <laughs> you know, it's just like, oh God, if we just read enough books, like by 2022, then I'm set for the rest of my life. It's like, there's going to be something else in five years and something else. Exactly. And- we know racism did not die when Iowa elected Barack Obama. But here's the thing also, you know, as, as much as I have pride in, in being a fifth generation Iowan, I also understand the colonization that comes with that. As well as the fact that because my family is so homogenous, that we have not had as much interaction, you know, with with other cultures. And so it is on me to do that investigation, to expand my mind, to understand, and then to make sure that like in my positions, you know, of being a policymaker, that I'm advocating and understanding what everybody in my community needs. That That is the only way that I serve everybody well. Because if I only know this one lane, this tunnel vision then I'm going to get a small portion of the pie, you know? And so it really is, again, what I love about the products that you both have is that I can put something on, spark a conversation, and force people to stop looking away from it, instead to face it head on and hope that they engage in that conversation. LD is showing us our 100% over racism uh, shirt that he's wearing. No, sorry, I had to plug in my computer. It was like, it's going to (laughs) die. But this is the thing, though, right, is that like we have to stay committed. And and I know I've said this before, but I but I'm not going to stop saying it. Sometimes I've seen it, you know, attached to some Banksy art. But if you get tired, rest, but don't quit. There is a lot of work to do and the work doesn't stop 
because we've reached a milestone, that goal ends up just moving further. And so as soon as we get, you know, accomplish one thing, we've got to move that goalpost and and keep going because there's just a lot of work to do. But I've never I've never been in a situation yet, regardless of what it was, where somebody has called me escalated out of 10 talking about some complicated issues, particularly regarding racism, where I couldn't talk to them about something. And there was a conversation that I think was particularly important um, after one of the rallies where somebody said, but you don't understand the life that I've had. They were identifying as a cisgender white male. And they said, but, but my life wasn't easy. And I said, I'm not taking that away from you. But look, if I didn't have a constitutional amendment, I wouldn't be here being your representative because I wasn't given that ability just inherently upon birth. But for the same reason, you know, my black and brown friends wouldn't have had the same opportunities that you did just by being born, just by purely existing, if they didn't have constitutional amendments. So it's more than that. You know, I'm not taking away from anybody's hardships or their stories or anything like that that they went through, but it's literally talking about the generational trauma that has existed, the systemic racism that is, has existed and that is still current in people who are alive today. We're talking about not things that just happened, you know, in our distant past. I mean, these are like grandparents who have gone through the Jim Crow era that are still alive today that still have that generational trauma, you know, and, and understanding of things, let alone the things that we're currently working through. So this is something that's like an all hands in. It takes people like Mike, takes people like LD, takes people like me saying we're here to stay and to work through this in Iowa because you know, damn it, we care about Iowa and we're not going to let it go a different way. Exactly. That's what I love about the platforms you have, the way that you use your your businesses as a platform, the way that you advocate for your communities and unapologetically double down on that to make Iowa, you know, have its glow up, to make Iowa be its best self. It really is that kind of commitment and energy that that starts to change us for the better. Love it. Yeah, I mean, I, in general, feel oddly, like, pretty good about the future of things. I mean, it's, again, the first step is, like, acceptance. And I think it is tough for people to see. I can understand when people say, like, well, I worked for everything I had. And it's like, well, yeah, I, you sure did. But it's there's so much circumstance that goes into it. You know, look at football. I went to a Class A high school. <laughs> now, if you're the champions of Class A high school you would get crushed by the champions of 4A. <laughs> like, it's just, that's how it works. But they divide it up because it's like, well, a school with only 100 people total needs to be in a different bracket from a school with 4,000 people. Does that take away from my experience or the sense of accomplishment? It's like, no, but it's just pointing out that circumstances are different for, you know, different sets of people. And it's, it's understanding, it's, it's not about taking away, you know, to anybody else. It's giving everybody as much opportunity as possible. And it's not even, um, you know, special for this group and not special for them. Like, we're taking away from this and giving it. It's the idea that, you know, opportunity hasn't been equally dispersed. And what's the harm with, you know, dispersing opportunity equally? You know, as, again, like an insanely white person, like not just skin tone, but I even wear Patagonia and wear New Balance and I drive a Subaru. Um, so it's just like, I'm ticking all the boxes. Nobody's like, eh, he's not wandered in any other fields. He's owning it. Um, it's like, wait a minute, what is it? Is that You're a tool sticker? Holy shit. Like, 
you, sir. And but you know, I my mom was a mechanical engineer, and when we moved to Iowa, she was one of three mechanic female mechanical engineers in the entire state. So almost always was um, in charge of getting coffee, and. It's one of those things of, you know, she would start and they would pair her with like this, there was like this old grouchy engineer. He's like, you know, they only hired you because you're a woman. And my mom was like, oh, really? Um, I should go and ask for a raise then. <laughs> it's like, because they can't fire me. I'll tell them that you told me that. And they're like, no, don't do that. And I was like, well, why would he say that, mom? And she's like, yeah, he's probably a shitty engineer. If he were good at his job and yeah. had earned where he was, he wouldn't be afraid of a woman. And so I... I think even from a young age, you just see that inherent unfairness. You know, my mom wanted to coach my brother's little league team, and it caused like kind of a fracas in town. And they were like, "A woman is a it's the boys' little league team." And my mom, you know, had played softball at Michigan, so it was technically the most qualified coach to play his kids' little league. And we had to like a family friend of ours agreed to be the assistant coach just so he could go out for, like, the pre-coach meeting because they were worried that, like, the other male coaches would be, like, their whole world would come crumbling if, like, a woman came out for, like, a guy's Little League. And even as, like, a seven-year-old, it was just the... I could not wrap my mind around. You're like, so what's the big deal? So they don't want to talk to my mom before the game? And you look back on it, and it's like, again, that's my lifetime. Like, I want to I wanna meet your mom. She was actually, like, I mean, a pretty neat, like, lady in general, obviously. But it's one of those things of, you know, that's the kind of thing you want to pass on to people. You don't have to tick every single box. And it's like, here's the words you can say, here's the words you can't say, and just memorize this and you'll be fine. It's understanding, yeah, there's lots of different experiences. And it's about, you know, giving people the opportunity. It's not closing off your mind to say, oh, this person is this type, so they're going to obviously turn out this way. It's like, no, you're... You're just you're limiting your own understanding of like the world. So it's it's realizing that yeah, you know this is like cyclical, but there are you know there's ways out of it. It and it leads to a better society. And I just think we're at least close in that we've acknowledged what's happening. And there's there's so many great people involved. You know, progress at least is undefeated. Just sometimes takes a while. Let's go into last thoughts here. And, and just before I forget. People can look at all the great products that Mike Draper of Raygun has at www.raygunsite.com. And LD has a couple of websites. His uh, overall website is www.lavardaviskid.com. And you can also find 100% over racism at www100, that's the number 100, percent written out, over written out, racism.com. 100% over racism. Okay, last thoughts, Mike and LD. Oh, man, I that was kind of my last thought already. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and my last thought is there need to be more people having these conversations. Uh, so thank you, Ashley, for engaging with the community in the ways that you do and for constantly wanting to uh, show that you are a true ally and a true advocate for those whose voices have been silenced for so long. And Mike, keep doing all the amazing things that you're doing. Uh, you're definitely an inspiration to a lot of people and your company is uh, amazing at giving back to the communities that it is in. So thank you for that. You guys are uh, both amazing human beings and I'm uh, honored to have been on this with you. Yeah, I mean, I think the same thing is that I don't look for 
you know, an exact formula of kind of like what we support and who we look for. It's, it's getting people involved. And so there have been any number, you know, from, um, like Ashley's race to even, you know, local city elections here. If people reach out to me, it's just like, yeah, how can I, it's like, how can I be of assistance? You know, you don't have to necessarily run for office. You don't have to start a company. There are any number of ways that you can help out. And a lot of it is just, you know, positive support for other people. And there have been lots of issues. I mean, we've been on the losing side of more issues than we've been on the winning side. I mean, by a long shot. And it's, it's trying to explain that to people of it's a process and it takes a while and it takes like everybody together. And I think I've just been more, recently bigger on positivity in general like look at some of the stuff that you put out on social media how much of it is like tearing people or things down and how much of it is building other things up and it's you can go tear something down but if you're going to spend the time to time and energy to discuss something you dislike you know also spend some time and energy to show uh people something that you really like because the people you're talking to are saying yeah i don't like that thing that you also don't like um, but I don't know enough to support something that's the antithesis of that. So if you say, well, this, whatever organization isn't good because of this, this is a great organization. I think people want to support stuff. And so keep in mind, it's not just, you know, tearing down, it's, you know, promoting other things to let people know these are the places that you can, you know, give your time and energy to. And so I don't know, I in general feel pretty good about things. Currently, I mean, in, I mean, in this minute, I'm feeling good about things, but who knows what I'll hear on the car ride home and be like, uh. <laughs> so I'm just so happy to be a part of a community like this with so many like great people. I it's just it's amazing to see everybody. I don't, somebody who just sits back and observes other people. You're like, yeah, so many great people doing so many great things. <laughs> yeah. You know what? That's a great place to end on. I, I'm so thankful that, you know, you both gave your time twice. That's another story for another day. <laughs> but um, but I'm so grateful for you both um, individually, collectively in our community, helping to make us better, keep us great, but but keep us pushing, you know, for a better tomorrow. So thank you so much for your time. I hope to have you back on here again. And if you ever want to come on and, you know, and take the mic, this is it. This is a co-shared um, podcast. So I created a platform, you know, happy to lend you that mic and, and, uh, and have you back on. Okay. Yeah. Thanks. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you again for joining me for this episode of the new Bohemians podcast. It is so important to stay connected to voices at the ground level. You won't want to miss these stories, so make sure to subscribe to the New Bohemians podcast wherever it is you listen to podcasts. To increase the voice of the community, please consider sharing this episode with a friend, loved one, or on your social media to keep the conversation going. Like all good things, this podcast creates space for local voices to be heard. We share the mic and work to lift these voices to create a better community. Thanks to Rocket App for our beautiful Bohemian cover art. The New Bohemians podcast is produced in conjunction with Particulate Media, K.O. Myers, executive producer. My thanks for tuning in today. I'm your host, Ashley Van Orney. We look forward to connecting with you again soon.